This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast with myself, Adam Strong. And um, you know what's really interesting? Um, I've got a great guest today, like really, really great guest. It's interesting how um, how we ended up getting contact. And I have no clue whatsoever how we've never, ever had a conversation because we've got so many great mutual friends. But anyway, we're here. It's all good. So who is on today's podcast, ladies and gents? Well, we've got an absolute maestro of a person. His name is Brendan McGugan, and he is a global business leader who builds profitable, scalable businesses. What Now, let me give you some context around this, because Brendan served as a CEO for um, CDE Group for 12 years, and he helped that company achieve a 25x in terms of revenue and positioning as industry leaders. Um, but he also helped them accumulate 500 million pounds worth of revenue, which translates into 50 million pounds worth of profit and scaled from 15 to 700 employees, was on six continents and did business in over 100 countries. Now, literally, seriously, credibility doesn't even kind of even touch the, the, the baseline here. But literally, what I love about Brendan it's interesting. We've only had a couple of conversations is you can really understand where his drive comes from. And it is not based around money, by the way, because he's way past that. It's all based around something that I'm really passionate about, which is purpose. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that, ladies and gents. But one of the things that he loves working with, he loves working with SMEs, with you guys, business leaders that effectively want to scale. And he's got a, a great book out called... Um, he co-authored a book, by the way, called Simple Scaling, which is the uh, 10 proven principles about how to 10x your business. So we, we're going to be talking a little, a little bit about that as well. So lots of things to talk about. Now, some of the things that we are going to cover during today's episode, some of the value bombs is we're going to be talking a little bit about the importance of purpose. I love talking about those conversations because they're always kind of cool. Now, what we're going to do is I am always in now for you guys that have listened to me before, of course. I love delving in deep. I love to really kind of understand what people's thoughts, emotions, uh, critical thinking is in potential in certain scenarios. And I I know that we can have a great conversation, me and Brendan. Um, I'm going to be talking a lot about to Brendan around his um, his uh, experience being CEO for such a long period of time. We'll be talking about some of the mistakes. We're going to be talking about some of the um, uh, some of the ways in which to build company culture. We talk about some of the principles and strategies that he employed within his company that he worked with. So it, there is so much to cover. Like literally, there is so much to cover during today's session. It is unbelievable. And I'm so looking forward to it because I love talking about this, as you guys know. Super important. Now, if you're listening to me at us live, use the hashtag live. If you're listening to us uh, later, hashtag replay. If you listen to us on the podcast, check out all the show description notes and make sure that you connect with Brendan on all the uh, preferred channels. If you have any questions, him and his team will, of course, respond in due 
you kind of make sure that you check out his book on Amazon or all good uh, bookstop stores out there, whether, whether it be uh, on Barnes & Noble in the US uh, or in Australia, Amazon, whatever it might be, make sure you check that out because it is a best-selling book and they've got some great reviews and testimonials. Anyway, enough from me. Brendan, welcome to the show. Adam, wow. I'm going to take you on tour with me. You can do all of my intros. I've done a lot of podcasts, my friend, and that is uh, the most energetic, uh, uh, praiseworthy introduction I've ever had. So I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. You know, uh, you know it's interesting. I mean, I always start the conversations, right, with I, I, I'm, a, I'm a very highly energetic guy, Brendan, right? So when I, when I, when we have conversations with people, it's like I'm always at a 10x in terms of energy because energy is infectious. You know what I'm saying? Like it's infectious in sales. You're infectious with people that you connect with. Like you, who you are, how you attract. You see what I'm saying? Com- completely agree. We we talk about the acronym CEO being chief energy officer. I mean, it's it's incumbent on you as a leader. If you can only do one thing is to walk into your office in the morning, greet your team with high energy, because as you say, Adam, it's infectious and uh, and ultimately we're just energy transmitters. And I'm a big I'm a big fan of surrounding myself with radiators. And um, I've done a great job uh, over the last, I'd say, five, six, seven years of removing any drains from my life. So um, you're definitely one of those radiators, my friend. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad I'm I'm a I'm glad I'm a radiator and not a drain. Uh, that's a good thing. So I'm I'm glad we I'm glad we started up the conversation really cool. So um, yeah, um, interestingly enough, and and I know that during the um, before we came live, actually, uh, you asked me about oh, Adam Strong, such a great stage name. So I wanted to give you some context to that, right? So for you guys that don't know um, a little bit my background, because I've I've been in a bit uh, in in the industry for like thirty years. So one of my first real businesses, Brendan, right, was actually I got into high sports performance coaching. So that was kind of what I did, right? So I worked in a, I worked in a gym to help people with their pain and blah, blah, blah. So having the surname of Strong really had an advantage, right? So, you know, I was clearing up all the clients and whatever. Right on, Brad. This is a true story. True story. True story, right? So this is really interesting, right? Um, I had a, a colleague of mine because I got I got too busy. I got too booked, right? So I had another guy who looked like me. I had he was bald. His name was Blair Toner. Toner, Toner, one of all names, Toner. So we had Strong and Toner in the gym, and everyone was coming up to us and saying, "Are these stage names? Are you taking the piss? Are you seriously pulling our leg?" They go. Uh, love it. Absolutely love it. Um, and uh, Miss Glute worked behind reception, did she? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> she was taking all our bookings for us. 100%. Why not? So, uh, but there you go. So, there you go. So, that, 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 there you go. I just wanted to kind of break the ice with you guys that are listening in as well and give you a bit of a laugh because that's what the podcast is all about. But um, anyway, moving onwards and upwards, all good. Listen, this is going to be a great conversation. Really looking forward to today. And, um, um, I want to dive straight in, if I may, because I mean, like we sing, we literally like talk about the same stuff all the time with regards to scaling and purpose and whatever it is. But I'd love to kind of like get your um, let's get, I want to get some insights from you, you know, kind of going from that 17 year experience of being a global business leader and 12 years as a CEO, like 
you know, what was kind of like the background behind that? Like, was it, was it a specific industry? Like what was, what was kind of the path to, to Brendan? Was it like you wanted to go into entrepreneurship and you wanted to be serve as a CEO? Cause I know that you do a lot of non-exec positions now, don't you? And uh, I know that you've got an award, uh, the Institute of Directors award that I, that I saw as well. So, uh, you know, I'd love to kind of get some context around like, you know, how did that kind of come about? Sure. Yeah. I suppose to take you, back a little bit further than than the industry that I spent 17 years in, which was the materials handling, essentially the, the sand and aggregate and mining industry uh, on a global basis. Uh, prior to that, actually, I was uh, headed up the finance function for a software company uh, during the dot-com boom and bust. And prior to that, actually, I trained as and qualified as a chartered accountant. And the background of that is I grew up in, in Ireland uh, in Ireland in the in the seventies and eighties during the Troubles, I'm the middle of five, and we came up with a huge social paradigm around being educated. Neither my mum or dad were educated, and the belief there, and certainly a belief that was told to us often, that in order to 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 get out of the Troubles and to give yourself greater opportunities, you should get yourself educated. So there's a huge emphasis put on education. Hence, uh, as I say, one of uh, one of five and uh, we're all educated. My eldest brother is actually, he's, he's a judge. Uh, my younger brother's a, a, a director in a, in a construction firm, two girls, again, uh, senior in HR, senior in social worker, all, all educated. And that comes from the fact that uh, we grew up in the troubles and and there was a huge emphasis put on that. So I didn't particularly, I did, I had no idea what a chartered accountant was, but I was told from an early stage because my dad actually, he left sc uh, school when he was 16 and uh, went into a company and actually developed himself through that company, never qualified, but became headed up the finance function for a local car dealership. And he always told me, I enjoyed helping him when he brought these ledgers home. He always told me that uh, someday, son, you're going to be a chartered accountant. And I used to say, yeah, yeah, dad, whatever. Uh, just call me out more numbers. He let me actually use this big calculator and I would hammer away at the buttons and help him as, you know, as a young kid. And, and I became a chartered accountant, no accident, uh, that, that because I was told from no age that I was going to become one. Couldn't wait to qualify I was and get out of practice it was for me the the, the qualification was really a, a, a passport to travel so as soon as I qualified I was uh, through Coopers and Library and I was seconded into this software company that was doing great things in Belfast um, and uh, they invited me to to join their their finance function and I was there for three four years brilliant experience but with every good boom there was a bust and I said, I didn't want to go into uh, technology again. I didn't want to join another technology business. Uh, but the skills that I had, uh, the skills that I had developed over the course of three or four years in that, what was a scaling business, but scaling wasn't a thing then because scaling only came into our business lexicon really in the last eight, nine years. Uh, but what we did reflecting back was scaling. We took that software business uh, at Global, we had offices in Hong Kong, in the in the US, and as a young twenty-something, I was traveling the world. It was wonderful, uh, but tired of the, the the software industry, a product that I couldn't see and touch. So I was invited to speak to this founder of this um, engineering, small engineering business in a small town here in Northern Ireland. At this, that stage, the business had about fifteen people. Uh, it was turning over about three million revenue, and. Uh, 
I liked I liked the the ambition of the founder, but he was an engineer, not but he is an engineer uh, and enjoyed the product development, enjoyed the uh, the sales aspect, the business development, but didn't want to do all the bits in between. So I was invited in to join the company as finance director. And a few years later, then uh, he invited me to to become CEO of the business. And uh, during my tenure, we took that business then from from 15 people to 700 people, set up offices in six continents, exported to more than 100 countries. And um, I was the uh, the very fortunate, very privileged person to support the leadership of that company. We navigated through the global financial crisis and became the number one company in our industry. So uh, during that 17 years, look, I thought everybody was doing this. I thought everybody had the mindset to to grow and scale a business. Uh, my head was in a bubble of all things CDE, so I never really lifted my head out of that. and. Uh, the award that you're re- referencing to at the time when I came to the, the CEO position, we had to, I suppose, as managing director, I wanted to formalize the board, set up a cadence of regular board meetings and structure the board in such a way that we had uh, lots of different voices as opposed to just my phone, uh, mine and the founders, and uh, but bring in other voices. So... I knew nothing about formalizing boards. I thought, well, who does? And Googled and found this institute called the Institute of Directors and uh, decided to onboard onto their program and became a certified director, uh, got my diploma, and then went on to become a chartered director. Uh, A couple of years later, actually, then I became, they put me forward. I became the the UK Director of the Year as uh, as a result of uh, the success we achieved within the business. So we can dive into as much of that as you you wish, Adam, but that led me to essentially, uh, I I exited the business in 2019. I had an opportunity. I wasn't the major. I wasn't the founder. I wasn't the major shareholder, but I was a shareholder of the business. I had an opportunity to sell my shares. After 17 years, I felt that that was the right thing to do at that point, and um, and I I genuinely wanted to take some time off. That lasted a weekend. I woke quit on a Friday. Woke <laughs> up on a Monday and started writing the book, which is Simple Scaling and. Uh, and that then became our company, Simple Scaling. I co-authored the book with my wonderful business partner, Claire Colvin, and uh, we co-founded the business Simple Scaling because we actually, uh, through our own research for the book, found out that actually less than 1% of small to medium-sized enterprises ever achieve scale. And, I, and just before... I wrap that up, Adam, just to give you a sense of this and why this is so critically important. And I thought this was incredibly sad. Whenever I came to the role of CEO in 2007, a lot of your listeners will relate to this. You don't go to CEO school. You don't go to scale up school. You know, there's no experience in this until you're sitting in the seat. And I had graduated into that position from the, from the, the finance position. Already, look, my fingers were in lots of different parts of the business because the numbers give you the wonderful privilege and insight into all aspects of the business. You know, if the margins are off, you start having conversations with salespeople, you have conversations with operations people, you say, we were supposed to deliver the project to this budget, why did this not happen? And all of a sudden, you're, you have your finger in, a, in every part of the business, which is the wonderful 
uh, gift, I suppose, of of qualifying as as a finance professional. But um, the, the 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 statistics then in relation to the research for the book, we determined that less than one percent of SMEs are actually scaling. There are five point seven million. SME, small and medium-sized enterprises for your listeners. So it's typically businesses, more than 10 people, less than 250, uh, typically less than 50 million pounds revenue. It's an OECD, OECD definition, which varies from country to country. But, um, <laughs> the, uh, but largely, that's, the, that's, that's the, the, the sector that we're looking at. There are 5.7 million of those SMEs in the UK. And they contribute two trillion pounds worth of revenue to the UK economy. Two trillion pounds. So they're incredibly important to the to the lifeblood of, of economies. And there are 400 million SMEs across the globe. So really important right across the globe to every economy. And half of that revenue, one trillion pounds, is coming from less than 34,000 companies. So these which are scale-ups, these scale-ups contribute positively disproportionately to the UK economy and to the economies across the globe. And I thought, yep. this is something that I really want to get my teeth into. Being a CEO of the business back in 2007, I had no guide how to scale the business and felt compelled, along with my co-author, Claire, to actually write the guide to scaling a business, hence simple scaling. 10 proven principles, 10 acts your business. Love it. Love it. You know, as a great backstory and, you know, it really sets the tone for today's conversations. Um, what I was going to say to you, and it's a shocking statistic that you shared there. And, yeah. and you know, I, 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 I mean, I knew, I've known about those statistics for uh, probably for about six months, actually, when I looked at it, you know, I think it's less, it's less than 1% of, uh, businesses that have an exit strategy in place. Is that correct as well? Uh, yeah, less, less than 1% have a vision. So they, it's implied in that, that if you don't have a vision, then you don't have an exit strategy because uh, enshrined within your exactly. vision will be a, a plan at some point to, to step off and hand across. So, yep. Very good point. Some good stuff. Well, um, I'd love to, I, I, I kind of want to start with like, Talking about the transformation of when you were when you had when you were at CEO, the transformation of startup to scale up because there, there, there's a real uh, journey if you like you know up until that. But can you like share maybe a pivotal moment or a challenge that you faced as a as a as a CEO? How did you navigate that challenge and? What lessons did it teach you about scaling? Was there anything that really kind of sticks out in your mind? There are lots, to be honest, Adam. Across the 17 years, I often get asked, you know, why did you stay for 17 years? The reality was it didn't feel like one company for 17 years. It felt like 17 different companies. Uh, you know, every year we were, we were so different. We were, we were transforming we're, every 12 months. A pivotal moment, and it's... Now I can put language to this by virtue of the experience that I've had and the research that, you know, we spent two years speaking to leaders across the globe about the principles that undergirded their scaling success and those actually aligned with, with um, our own experience. Pivotal moment 
was winning a project in Qatar. Uh, it was a huge project. It's still the world's largest sand washing system. So people often say to me, uh, what, you guys actually sold sand to the Arabs? Uh, yeah, we did in a way. Uh, so that project, people can Google it. It's on YouTube, the world's largest sand washing system. It was a project whose value, commercial value, was more than, for one project, was more than our previous year's revenue. A oh, huge wow. project. And in this instance, ignorance and naivety was absolute bliss because we entered into doing something that we had never done before in lots of different ways. We'd never done a significant project in the Middle East. We'd, we'd done some smaller projects, but uh, this was an 18-month project. Uh, we were delivering it through Ramadan in 50-degree heat in the Doha Desert. At one stage, we had 300 contractors on site. Uh, I mean, and our team was like 40 people before we, before we took this project. Everything that could go wrong in a project did go wrong. I tended to spend a lot of time in Qatar during that time. Um, Huge pressure personally in terms of the back and forth at a young family. Um, from a business perspective, what it disclosed to us afterwards is that our processes were shocking. We had, we, we had very few processes. We were making decisions to bring people in to support us in that project, like subcontractors who didn't have the experience or competence to deliver something like that. So we had no criteria to assess these people. And again, leaning back in the process, uh, we, we lent heavily on our people who give us more discretionary effort than I could ever have asked for, but certainly including myself, we fell short of experience and competence to deliver something like that. So, you know, I would say, what did we learn? That was a project that could have broken the company, that could have bankrupted the company. We came out the other end with huge learnings, with a self-examination on a personal level and amongst the team to say, right, we've got out of this, but how do we make sure that what happened there doesn't happen again? And from that, we built in uh, what then became a unique value proposition for us, which was our project management methodology. Prior to that, we just won the business. And in some way, I don't know how the hell it happened. We got it delivered, but it was so, so painful for the customer. And we created mm. this framework after that, a very simple framework called customer for life. And we thought we're really good at winning customers you know we can we're very good at selling them a vision for what their project could be at the front end so we're good at winning the business we're atrocious at delivering the business but imagine if we were world class at delivering that we could delight the customer not only at the front end but right through the delivery and imagine afterwards if we were partners in their success in terms of operating uh, this this plant that this equipment that we just delivered and this became what we call a customer for life framework. So wow them at the front end to win the business. Be world-class in the delivery in terms of delivering the business and ensure their success 
once actually the project has been handed over. So you've got this virtuous circle that if you are world class in each of those three overarching elements of a business, then actually your customer has never any reason to leave you. And uh, from that, then we developed uh, processes to support this customer for life and mentality. So, you know, there's so many of those stories, lots of them captured in the book, Adam, but uh, certainly that was one where I said, look, this has been so painful for everyone involved. How do we ensure we don't encounter or suffer this level of pain, both in terms of inflicting it on the customer and on our own team into the future? How did, uh, just out of curiosity on that note, because I mean, that's a really great, um, great experience that you shared with us. How did it make you feel being a, a main decision maker, being the, you know, the CEO of the company? You just highlighted about the fact that the customer was going through pain and it was a painful process and whatever it is. How did it make you feel as an individual, as a decision maker, right? You know, delivering on something that maybe, did you, did you think that, Oh, do you know what? It's just easy just to just throw the towel in. Or did you feel like, oh, I'm really, I, I feel really so, so much out of my, out my comfort zone. Like, how did you feel that point in time? And what did, did you, what did, how did you, as an individual, what did you, um, what did you take from the whole experience, like from a personal development perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. I've never been asked that before. I was a young CEO. Uh, I became to the position in, in, in my early 30s. I came into the business in my 20s, CEO in my 30s, and left the business in my 40s. So there's a huge transition. During that time, I, I became married, uh, you know, the father of three wonderful kids. And so I like to think I've matured as a person. In the early stages, when customers are coming back at you, your immediate reaction is to try and defend that. That's an attack on your, your, your ego, um, and you immediately go into this kind of fight or flight. I'm going to defend at all costs what we've done, as opposed to acknowledging the pain that the customer has just gone through. So there's a lot of that in the early stages. As you mature, and this is really important for the listeners to understand, it's a huge part of understanding your true value proposition. Obsess on your customers. Give energy to over-delivering with value to your customers. Don't get so caught up with your competitors and what they're doing. Give your energy to obsessing about your customers. Acknowledge their pain. Acknowledge their struggle. Even if the format by which they're conveying that is not the way you might necessarily convey the same issue. Um, Acknowledge that there's going to be substance in what they're saying. Have a culture that's win or learn, not win or lose. And, and ultimately arrive at the point where you know, feedback is gold. The worst thing that can happen is the customer stays silent and just goes off. And for the next project, they don't entertain you. And you've been left in the dark. If your customer has taken their time, and energy to convey certain issues or challenges with your delivery, then acknowledge that 
And that's a real opportunity for actually you to over deliver in how you address that challenge, how you address that failure, how you address that mistake. You have an opportunity. And certainly I have I have given repeat business to uh, uh, to companies in the past. The product has failed, but the way they have responded to that failure has been exceptional. And I've gone back to them. Uh, I can think of two instances where, you know, I've bought a car for a certain make of a car and uh, I've had serious challenges with it. But the way the service department dealt with those brought me back to buy again. So I, I hope that answers the question, Adam. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I like to challenge people in, 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 in these, uh, in these uh, I suppose, kind of jamming sessions or whatever it is. It's no, just, I, it's I, just I, really I, useful. I love that. And I say, I, I've never been asked it before. And ultimately, it's that psyche is the very first principle of scaling. And that psyche, mm. it, you know, that's the mental lens by which we see the world, by which we interpret the world, by which we interact with the world. And I suppose there's a number of components to that in terms of, your self-awareness, self-control, self-discipline, your self-esteem, your self-story. If your self-control is not, well, first of all, if your self-awareness is low, if, then you're not going to even be aware of the customer's complaint in the first stage. You're not going to acknowledge that. If your self-control is poor, maybe you respond by actually in, a, in a, quite an aggressive manner. Whenever the you know the customer has simply conveyed their challenge with what you've actually uh, delivered, so you know the your psyche as a leader is so critically important. It and it either empowers the other nine principles or disempowers the other nine principles. So there's a you know we could do a couple of hours on psyche alone, but so so critically important. And I suppose my evolution as a CEO has been very much about developing my own psyche yeah very good love that some good stuff that um interestingly enough and i know you're a big fan of purpose vision and mission and same for me right it's kind of like the base foundations to building a profitable and scalable company i guess right from your perspective and again maybe this is something for our listeners here is how can you know, businesses scale without losing sight of their core mission because it's, you know, it, it can be easy done, can't it, with so many components and so many things. It's been like a, you know, because it's 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 like a it's like a, you know, a moving, you know, it's a moving business at the end of the day. You've got to plan to adapt. You've got to plan to uh, adopt new insights, new strategies, or whatever it is. But can you just share with us? how businesses in particular can scale without losing sight of that core foundation. Cause we can lose direction. We can lose focus. And I've seen it being done many times and I'm sure you have, right? Absolutely. This is critical. Once you've examined your psyche and you have explored your own self-limiting beliefs, you know, that maybe I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the skill set to, to bring my product or service into another market, into another region. Once you've, one, and that's an ongoing process to really explore and self-examine your own psyche. But purpose and vision is the second principle, and they go hand in glove. So 
You know, it's the old uh, Alice in Wonderland, the, the, the cliched statement, which is so profound. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. You know, and there's a Japanese proverb saying, you know, without vision, the people perish. So let's let's take let's let's take an example in our in our in our own lives. If if you waken up in five years time and you go, how did I arrive at this point? This isn't the life that I wanted. Why am I here? Why am I feeling unhealthy? Why are my relationships not good? Why have I not got the finances that I thought I would have? Uh, you know, why have I not um, uh, developed as I thought I would? Where was your starting point? Because ultimately, there's no one, both personally and professionally, who is going to craft your vision of the future that you want. So it's incumbent on every leader. And if you take only one thing from this podcast today, what is your vision for the future? What does great look like in five years time for your business? And I, am, I implore people to take the time. And less than 1% of leaders actually have a vision for the future. And there's a, there's a reason for that. Lots of people have, have a view of what they would like but very few actually are willing to put that on paper and then take the step to actually communicate that publicly because there's a fear of failure there. Back to psyche, um, you know, this, this sense of putting yourself out there and being, uh, being positioned in such a way that you might be judged. Taking vision, the, I, I, look, I built my own home eight years ago. I can't hang a picture straight at him. Like, I literally, I, I have no idea. Like, I'm rubbish around the house. But I haven't traveled the world with the business. I had collected photographs and images of all the things that I liked. You know, glass, stonework, wood, um, uh, the different types of, of architectural trimmings in the house, the, the kind of kitchen, the, the sitting areas, all, all of those things. And I created a vision for that. And I took that uh, to an architect who, who brought that to life. Initially, when we had provided the idea, I had given him a list of contractors that I would like to work on the project. I said, I don't think we can get those. I said, okay, well, let's create the vision for what we want to create here, and then we'll go back out to them. The moment that we had created the vision and the architect had started to put some pixelation on that vision, all of a sudden, we were able to attract the, the three contractors who initially said they were too busy, they wanted to work on the project now that they had a vision of that project, now that they had a vision for what we wanted to create. And we do this with our homes. We even can do this with cars now. You can go in and create the car that you want and custom kind of build in a way your car. Why are we not doing it with our companies? Why are we not sitting back and actually dreaming and envisioning the company that you want to create. I mean, the people that you want working within here. You talked about you came on with great energy, the vibe within the culture that you want to create, the, the type of customers, the nature of those customers, what those customers are saying about you, the processes in place, the systems that you have, how you're going to feel as a leader of that business. How are you going to feel? What, what way do you want? Are, are, do, for people listening to this, are you leading a business now where you feel, I am absolutely loving this? If you're not, then why not? And what would absolutely loving this look like? 
what would have to change for you to feel like this is, is a journey that I want to go on? This is, I'm feeling great. Uh, I waken up with joy and energy and excitement for this every day. And I'm not suggesting that everybody should hop out of their beds every day. That's not realistic. But on the whole, that you're excited for the, for the vision you've created of the, this business in the future. And what we do with that, and we take, we take participants who come on to our 12-month accelerator program through a process where we take, uh, we, we take them through a process to create a 10-year moonshot. We bring that down nearer term to create a vivid vision with more pixelation in three years. We take that down and break that down into, into key themes for one year. We undergird those key themes with one-year goals. We break that down into 90-day objectives and key results. So now everybody within the business is waking up and knowing why they're doing what they're doing and how it's aligned to a vision of the future. And, and there's an important point here because, and we'll come to purpose in a moment, but just let me uh, address the third principle of people. What do great people want? only wonderful opportunities to grow and understand that the people that you want, and this is something I get challenged with all the time. We would love to scale, but I can't get the people. I said, well, do me a favor, go onto your website and have a look. Tell me how inspiring the vision that you've crafted is on that website. Oh, well, we don't have one. Okay. Right. There we go. Um, tell me how inspiring the culture of your business is in terms of the website, you know, am I hearing existing team member stories? Can I get a sense of the culture of this organization? Are there customer testimonials on there? Are there existing team member testimonials on there? Is it screaming, this is a wonderful place to work? Tell me if that's the case. So ultimately, great people who are not typically looking for jobs because they're locked into the roles that they're already in, because if they're working for great companies, those great companies, those great leaders will do whatever they can to keep them. Ultimately, the way to attract great people is to show them a vision of the future that's exciting, that's attractive to them, that they can see, they can use their skill set to support you. And ultimately, they're going to be challenged, positively challenged as people along the way. The context of purpose, we've got a vision. Why are you doing this? We can, you know, we can all, we're, we're, we're both in the podcast game. You know, we can all want to be Joe Rogan. Everybody has dreams of being mm -hmm. Joe Rogan. But why? Why? What is it for the, for the accolades, for the Instagram likes, for the... Uh, why are you doing this? Because on the dark day in November, when it's pissing rain on outside and you're waking up wondering <laughs> why you're doing this, you've got to be... You, you know, you've got to be sure that you're... you're you're the meaning that you've given to this vision gets you up, energizes you to get through those dark days. So ultimately, vision without purpose becomes a distracting illusion in many respects. Purpose without vision is huge potential unrealized. So they go hand and glove. You know, what are you doing by virtue of your vision? Why are you doing it by virtue of your purpose? And I keep it really simple. I exclude mission. Mission is a military term. It's come into the kind of into the business lexicon. I think it gets confused between purpose and vision and, and everything in between. I keep it really clear. Where are you going? 
What is it that you're trying to achieve? Tell me, inspire me, excite me. And why are you going there? Why is this important? Good points. Love that. Love that. Some really, this is, for you guys that are listening, I hope this is kind of, you know, dropping a few golden nuggets, dropping a few value bombs that Brendan's doing. Honestly, this is a really deep dive into this because it's one of my favorite topics. And it's so overlooked when it's scaling a business. It really is because, you know, vision and mission and purpose, they all are without, it's like when you build a house, you know, Brennan, you know, he created his own house eight years ago. Without those foundations of the business, guess what? It's all going to fall apart. So we're going to, you know, it's going to be a bodge job. So this is so important to, to, to get that. Um, interestingly enough, um, I want to talk a little bit about company culture because you mentioned it just previously, just a second ago, Brendan. Um, now, it could be one of your biggest assets or some of your biggest liabilities, depending on, obviously, <laughs> what company you're in, whatever it is. But during your tenure as CEO, um, how did you create a culture uh, in votes with kind of, which evolved with scale, scaling the business? What strategies did you, I suppose, employ that maintains the alignment and vision and purpose of the company? Yeah, so I'll just take 60 seconds to, to address the vision again and the importance of the vision. The reason I'm on here today is yep. because of our vision, to inspire, connect, and enable yep. millions of ambitious leaders of SMEs to scale with purpose. It drives everything that I do. So ultimately, yep. your vision informs not only what you're going to do, but importantly, what you're not going to do. Now, when you set that vision, in terms of the culture, it's about inspiring, motivating, exciting people behind that vision and connecting their personal goals, what's in it for them, to the organizational vision. So what we're doing is having a conversation yeah. to say, what's really important to you? Let's say it's a salesperson and they're saying, well, look, Back to the house analogy, I'd love to build my own home within the next three years. You know, I've just got married. You know, I want, you know, we plan to, to, to have a family and I'd love to build my own home. I said, okay, well, here's where we're going as a company. What would your commissions level be in three years time when we break into that new market and you're leading that new market and we hit the target that we've set by virtue of our vision in that market. What would your commission look like? What would that mean to you in the context of you building your own home, your goal, your dream to build your own home? So now people are connected personally because they see what's in it for them and are motivated Absolutely. to support you to achieve the vision that you've set for the organization. So it's understanding that every as a leader, it's your responsibility to unlock the potential within everyone. The greatest waste in every business is the waste of unlocked potential within your people. And, and every person within your business, if you answer this question honestly right now, do you think that every person within your business, for those listening to this podcast within their business right now, look around and Answer the question, do you, is everyone within this business now working to 100% of their potential? Mm. There's absolutely no way they are. And it's your responsibility as a leader to motivate those people, 
to ch positively challenge those people to align their goals with the with the organizational vision and really unlock that wonderful untapped potential. So ultimately, it's about, and this language only came to me, you know, in the last number of years, but it's very consistent with, with the way that we typically led the business. I posed a question to a CEO of a business that had scaled very successfully, and I was curious about their organizational structure. I said, how many reports do you have? He said, I don't have any reports. I said, wow, God, you've scaled. You don't have any reports. He says, no, I don't have any reports. He says, but I have eight direct supports. My role every day is to support my leadership team to advance and to progress towards the organizational vision that we've set. So if you think of it rather, think of the kind of the traditional organizational chart upside down with you at the bottom rather than you at the top. And what can you do today to support someone within your organization, someone within your leadership team to help a customer, which ultimately advances you towards and the organization towards the organizational vision? So the culture is about creating this kind of um, uh, collective energy behind uh, a vision which everyone is clear on. As a leader, you cannot over-communicate your vision. I often thought, God, everybody knows it's this. this. They didn't from the factory floor, and especially as we grew to 700 people, a lot of my time is spent traveling, just evangelizing about the vision, getting to know people, our team members in, from South America to, to Australia and everywhere in between, and evangelizing, exciting, motivating those people, inspiring those people behind the vision that we created, and getting to know them as people. Love it. Very good. Yeah, yeah I think it's... You know, we're, we're dealing with people, ladies and gents, you know. That's it. And, uh, you know, if, if you've got like a toxic apple, as I like to call it, in your organization, they're probably infecting all the other good apples, which become toxic as well. Adam, Adam, let me just let me just pick up on that point. Be mindful yeah. that sick people infect other healthy people. So if you, by virtue of, and you mentioned the outset, you would like to drill into some kind of, uh, the, the, the biggest mistakes. The biggest mistake I made was not addressing the whiff of toxicity that I had among some people earlier than I should have had. I had a whiff. Interesting. And, and I decided that there were other priorities, but actually this was the highest priority. And it goes back to psyche and a limiting belief. I was, I had the, you know, a lot of people in leadership roles, and especially when you've come from, you know, a small company and built that through to medium sized and large, you know, as leaders, we want to be liked. We want, you know, as humans, we want to be liked. It's just part of, of our, it. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the last thing that you want in an organization is to bring conflict to, to have a difficult conversation with somebody to say, actually, this isn't working out. You're, your behaviors don't align with the values that we've set as this organization. They're not consistent. They're not congruent with, with, uh, with the behaviors that we expect to see in the organization. Nobody wants to have that conversation. So it's easy to rationalize and justify why not to have it. They're having a bad month. Maybe it's just something said. Maybe somebody, you know, maybe Jim is over-dramatizing what they said, you know, 
I'll, I'll address it. You know, I'll address it at the quarterly meeting or something after the quarterly meeting. We 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 do this. I'm appealing to people today. If there's if there's a whiff of toxicity in your organization by virtue of the 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 behaviors of people that aren't congruent with the values that you set in the organization, address it now. Yeah, absolutely. And and by the way, ladies and gents, just wanted to address this as well. Business is business. Don't let it make it personal. Even though people might think it's personal, it's not personal at all. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And this is why I'm a huge fan of objectives and key results that are aligned to one-year goals, that are aligned to a three-year vivid vision, that are aligned to a 10-year moonshot. Because ultimately, those OKRs, those objectives and key results, without kind of getting into the detail of that, those are mutually agreed. That's me saying, Adam, I'm in your team. I see where you want to go as the leader of this organization. This is what I'm going to do in the next 90 days to advance us. Now, if I haven't performed or, or delivered on those objectives that I've agreed upon, and I'm doing that consistently for you know, one quarter, two quarters, three quarters, well, then it's easy to have a conversation to say, this isn't really working out. You know, you're not delivering. Now that's on the performance side. On the cultural side of things, it's really important to understand what are the behaviors that you will accept within this organization and what are the non what are the non-negotiable behaviors? And what will you do if someone doesn't meet those non-negotiable behaviors? And ultimately, yep. the conversation that you need to have is for the betterment of the organization. It's for the health of the team. And ultimately, the, the customer will reap the benefits of you having had the difficult conversations within certain team members who are toxic. I, toxic people will just, and toxic is a strong word. I, I, you know, I always think of this, approach these conversations as with compassion and, and in the ultimate betterment of the, of the organization. We say, you're not happy. Your team isn't happy. We're not happy. Life's too short. Go and find an organization where you're going to be happy within. Go and do something that really ignites your passion, but it's clearly not here. Yep. No, absolutely. You've got to have those tough, tough conversations, ladies and gents, you know, and, uh, but ultimately you've got to do it, right? Don't hang on to people just because they were in it from the very beginning or you feel like you're doing them a favor. No, screw that. Okay. This is, we've got to be realistic here. Okay. You've got to make tough decisions and that's, that's the life of running a business effectively. Right. When you agree, Brennan. I absolutely. Couldn't agree more, Adam. And ultimately understand that we talk about the alignment of jockeys, horses and race, the right jockey. And this is the person who's culturally aligned. So, you know, I, I just something practical that I, that I pose to your listeners. List three members of your team, your leadership team, and ask yourself the question, if you were to rec recruit these people again, knowing what you now know, would the answer be 100% yes? If you've if it, if it is 100% yes, write out why, because that will give you an insight into the behaviors that actually you revere, the behaviors that you want to see in people. Write out why for those three people. If it's no, you wouldn't recruit them again. Also answer the question why. 
because that'll give you a sense of behaviors that, that you're not willing to tolerate. And it'll give, it's a wonderful exercise to, to discern the values and the behaviors that actually you want to, to run this organization with. And, um, and so if you, if you have the right jockey, ensure that they're on the right horse. And often in the early stages, someone who is brilliant in a certain role, as the company scales, you, they may find that actually the role overwhelms them, um, that they're not, in the, they're not in the right role. So they're not on the right horse that you need to have a conversation. You need to really understand them, to understand their competencies, their skill sets, and determine whether actually you can um, align their skill set with what's needed in the organization and put them into another role, essentially on another horse. And in a scaling organization, we talked about, you know, running the right race. Are they in the right geographical region? I've seen salespeople who have been in Germany, for example, you know, we've, we've seconded them to Germany from, from Ireland, and they have just... Uh, you know, they've, they've, they've drowned in that market, but actually when we relocated them to North America, they've excelled. So the right jockeys on the right horse running the right race. Good metaphor. Love it. Some good stuff. Well, listen, I think, I mean, I, we could talk for hours, but I know we don't have hours because I, I literally ha- could answer, I, I could, I could literally have a conversation with you for hours. And I think there's just so much uh, great stuff that, that you offer and, uh, just so many useful insights and lessons that hopefully you guys that are listening in that have got some great golden nuggets. So I always, I'm a big believer. And I mentioned this on the last podcast episode as well is I would highly endorse you guys, wherever you're doing right now, to be listen, listen to this in the gym, in the car, whatever it is, go back and re-listen to this. And the reason I say that is because I can guarantee you not everything that you are going to be listening to right now is going to sink in. But you listen to it two or three times, I can guarantee you you'll pick up new things. You'll pick up new insights, new learnings, and uh, you just kind of more golden nuggets to add to your toolbox, if you like, if you want to call it that. But Brennan, I just wanted to say thank you so much. This has been a great episode. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing some time with us and, uh, and, you know, just sharing your time as, uh, and, and just been a great conversation, man. I've really appreciated it. Oh, Adam, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me on. I've really, really enjoyed it. The time has absolutely flown. So I hope that has been yes. of value to the listeners. And if anyone wants to connect with me, um, I'm active on, on LinkedIn, Brendan McGurgan on LinkedIn and, uh, uh, you, you, you'll get me there. We have our own, uh, you've kindly signposted people to the book, Simple Scaling on, on Amazon. Yep. And, uh, and also we have our own podcast as well, ScaleX Insiders. So um, where you'll Great hear stuff. more about all things scaling. Absolutely. Uh, just one more question before you go as well. I know you've got an event happening in Ireland, if you like, um, with, um, is it Alex Hamosi? Is they're going to be there and uh, uh, some other superstars? So, is that right? Well, uh, we have Stephen Bartlett, not uh, Alex Hermosi, but uh, certainly uh, an icon in the podcasting world and the business scaling Definitely. world. Stephen Bartlett, who I'll be interviewing live uh, next next Wednesday at Belfast International Convention Centre. Uh, we have Professor Damien Hughes who, from the the High Performance Podcast, author of uh, what six seven books at this stage, uh, who speaks uh, with 
wonderful depth and experience on all things high performance. We have Nick Bradley, a mutual friend of ours, Jack Daly, who's coming oh. across from the US. So talk about energy. My God, that, that guy has more, <laughs> more energy than a power station. He's, uh, he's an amazing guy. So, so wonderful speakers, all speaking to uh, to to all things business scaling. So look, really looking forward to that. That's, you know, we have 500 yeah. business leaders already registered. If people are keen to come to that, I would I would urge them to to get their tickets. It's uh, really, really, I think there's there's maybe 25 tickets left at this stage. So um, no uh, love to see you there. Cool. And if you if you don't get the opportunity to, uh, again, depending on when you're listening to this, if you don't get the opportunity to get along Feel free to connect with uh, Brendan anyway, because you can kind of, you know, you know, make sure that you're part of his uh, tribe and you can find out about more future events as well, which is uh, going to be cool. Anyway, Brendan, I'm going to love you and leave you. Listen, guys, hope you've enjoyed today's uh, episode. Thank you so much for listening in. Uh, feel free to leave a one or a five star review over on Apple or you can interact with the AI bot over on Spotify and ask questions, of course. So that's kind of cool. Anyway. Listen, from me and Brennan, hope you're well. And uh, well, whenever you listen to this, have a great day, week, month, whenever you listen to this. Take care, guys, and speak to you soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye.